Welcome back to Don't Call It a Book Club. My name is Luke. My name is Dan. Today we are reading Foundation mm-hmm. by Isaac Asimov. The uh, the first three fifths. We've got, I don't know why I said that. We've gone through part three. Is the point of that? There right, are five parts. Right. Thanks, Luke, for that. <laughs> So if you have not, we're not doing this in thirds. So if you have not gone, gone through part three, maybe take a, maybe take a pause. Yeah. Maybe spend the like 30 minutes that it should take you to get through part three. Check it out. Come back. In the meantime, Luke, we want to do, uh, we want to do a little plug for, for the tweets that we've been laying out. Yeah. Yeah. We got to do a plug. Um, you guys follow us on on our social media accounts more we've got, <laughs> not... we've got reddit obviously but twitter get at, get at us on twitter we're having a blast over here we're having a lot of fun on twitter luke's making making latte art on okay, our twitter not, i'm making lattes the art is leaving a little to be desired well but yeah i i uh we're doing a little thing every at the end of every book I'm uh, making a themed latte. It's lovely. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the most very... recent one for Nice Dragons Finish Last, a little uh, a little Mayan mocha. It was good. Check it out. Check it out. Get at us at DC to BC. We are having a lot of fun out there. So, Luke, you made a little Mayan mocha this mm-hmm. week, maybe this morning for the book. Yes. Yesterday... I cooked, we made tacos, and I made a little pico de gallo with the tacos. I don't know if this happens to you, and this is is probably something that happens to a lot of people. Whenever I cut jalapeno peppers, my hands feel like very strange for two days afterwards. Does this happen to you? Not for jalapenos. So I cut a jalapeno yesterday, and my hands today feel like spicy they feel like they're spicy hands right now this happens to me when i go like up a level like if i'm doing oh i see what you're saying okay i was like what are you talking about like like to the second floor of your apartment (laughs) yeah it's an altitude thing um (laughs) no uh, when i do like habanero it happens Mm. to me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's not like like my hands don't hurt right now Right. It's not like a pain. I just it feels like there's some it's hard to describe it. Like there's a spiciness on them. Like there's a I I know what you mean. It's not really a pain. It's just like kind of a little like not uncomfortable uh, like little heat. I I can't even tell if it's heat. It's maybe like a little cool. Actually, it just feels weird. It feels strange. Uh but yeah, multiple days after I've cut jalapeno peppers, maybe I need to start wearing gloves. I've always thought I was not a wear gloves while cooking kind of guy, but right. maybe that's just do what you, I've got to do. What's your what's your hand washing? Do you hand wash immediately? Oh, afterwards? I hand wash before. Obvi- well, obviously, you hand wash before you start cooking. Right. Immediately after the jalapenos, we're hand washing, and then like multiple times because after I always feel like the first time it doesn't get it, and so I, I'll wash them again. Like at the very end of cooking, and then like after eating, I'll wash them again. So I'm washing <laughs> them. All right, these are getting washed. Okay, those are clean. Um, it just yeah, like I infuses. T- it's like infusing into my membranes. Maybe you've got some spicier jalapenos or or more permeable skin. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I'm but... like the I'm like the gnome from Artemis Fowl. <laughs> How about a little deep cut there. That's very deep that I very vaguely remember. Um, yeah, that's the spicy peppers are tough though. I, I let me plug the Twitter again. I made a tweet a while ago about this, somewhat related. Perfect. Big cutting Great. boards. Big cutting boards that I have. You got to clean those guys off after you're doing jalapenos because otherwise the rest of your meal gets spicy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want that. Could, yeah, maybe. But. Uh... Okay, bringing okay. us right back around, Luke. Back to the Twitter. <laughs> That's message Twitter. discipline, Dan. Once again, at DC to BC. Follow us on Twitter I, for great content right. about hot peppers and whole grains and stuff. 
Yeah. I also want to do, I just really quickly, um, bring us back to, to your warm up yesterday or from last week and do a little, a little embarrassing information about myself, which is I have gone to sporting events both weekends, the mm-hmm. last two weekends. Mm-hmm. My team embarrassingly lost both times. But the good news, got those garbage nachos twice in a row, and they're delicious. Worth it? That's right. Can we say Seven worth $7 for nachos every Saturday for the rest of the month. <laughs> what i'm doing wow okay luke is out here living his best life enjoying summer to the fullest eating those garbage nachos and loving it mm-hmm. do it listener Live if you dream. have a if you have a go-to stadium food that you pay way too much for but it's totally worth it let us know on twitter back to the twitter <laughs> we're bringing it back to the twitter that's right that's right okay let's let's talk about foundation i also want to point out Mm-hmm. The reason that we're doing Foundation right now, well, not the only reason, but the TV show that is associated with this book is coming out literally tomorrow. Yeah. When this when this episode is released, the show debuts the next day. So we're going to be talking about it, I think, next episode. So next episode, we're going to finish the book and talk a little bit about the show. So, um, yeah, very topical. Very topical. We will have uh, like a delineation in the episode. So if you can't catch it before the next episode comes out and you don't want any spoilers for what's going to happen, we'll let you know where to skip to. So you can just hear mostly book discussion. That's right. Speaking of book discussion, Luke, let's talk about foundation. Before uh, we're going to do something a little bit uh, unorthodox here for our episodes. I'm going to just say I love this book so much. Like, <laughs> I freaking love the Foundation book. The Show, first three give books. Give away the game, Dan. I freaking love these books. These books are so okay. good. Uh, I, like, it's very, the characters are good. The plot's very fun and interesting. It's, like, so good. I just love it. I love every part of these <laughs> books. There's my review. <laughs> We have read okay. these before, I'll say that. We have read all uh, the first three in the Foundation foundation series yes. before. The, the, it's going to be another one of those where I've read them but don't remember a ton from them. Um, but let's talk, let's talk about the beginning. Mm-hmm. So like I said, we've, been, we've gone through part three. Um, the first thing, we've got to start small, as always. Yeah. Uh, the big issue with, I forget the name of the 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 like capital planet, like Trantor or Tantan or something like that. Yeah, Trantor, I think, is what it's called. Its big weakness is that they didn't leave room for farms. <laughs> First of all, come on, <laughs> right? You're telling me there's not some like organic like granola folks out there who started a garden on their skyscraper like uh, roof. Well, well, okay. There's so many things about this. It's r- crazy to me because, first of all, like this is the capital city. You guys should be like planning some things. <laughs> sure. Um, and also, like the entire or most of the place is underground, mm-hmm. and then you've got like everything's covered with a roof and like no one ever sees the sky that's where you do the farming (laughs) (laughs) you're saying you're saying instead of a big roof that's just like a big umbrella you make it just a big farm on the top yeah yeah that does seem to be the solution huh (laughs) it's 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 wild to me maybe maybe this is maybe this is the the part where people are forgetting how to do interesting farming i don't know i'm assuming vertical farming is a thing by now also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. maybe the soil maybe man. the deal is like everybody who lives there is super hyper allergic to everything okay right like the reason why they've created this like essentially a bubble that they all live in is mm-hmm. you know this is pretty far down the line of of humankind at this point, 
there's just a bunch of people who have really bad allergies to stuff. They've been they've grown up in these like hyper clean environments in spaceships and stuff. And so the right. dirt the dirt is just not good for them. The sun and the, the dirt the sun and the dirt don't really work for them. Easily. The exactly. sunburn is brutal. The sunburn's really bad. The dirt is no good. And in this, something that we'll talk about a little bit later, but in this universe that Isaac Asimov has created, there's not really robots that do anything. Mm-hmm. So you can't have robots do all your farming up on top because those don't exist. So you've got to have some people up there and nobody on Trantor really wants to go out in the sun. That's pro- that's a good explanation. As mm. good as any. Now, the problem with that, Luke, the problem, mushrooms. Mm. Mushrooms. Why aren't we growing mushrooms, guys? So it's the solution. There's always there's always a problem here. It seems like maybe uh, maybe the empire kind of deserved it. You know, I can see why I can see why they fell. Yeah. Uh, Related to this, Luke, we find out that when kids turn five they take them on a field trip up to see the sky and they're like terrified of this this is like the scariest experience that some of these children will ever have what parent is signing that permission slip for that field trip right like i think that the guy says a lot of them get up there and just immediately start screaming First of all, what what sadistic teacher was like, you know what we should do to these kids? <laughs> you know how we're all terrified of the sky? <laughs> we, we should introduce children to this fear as well. I want to I want to hear their screams when we take them up to see the sky. Right. Was the I want to know the preparation process. <laughs> You're saying, like, what is the class like before they go up? Like, the day before or the week before? Right. Like, what is the teacher saying? Mm. And and also, afterwards, what's the, like, popularity hierarchy of the ones that did scream and the ones that didn't? Mm. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay, first, what is the preparation like? I think the preparation is going to be extremely poor. Like, they're not going to emotionally prepare these kids for what they're about to see. They're going to be like, all right, kids, tomorrow we're going to go see the sky. Now, the sky is blue because when the light filters through all the particles that are in the atmosphere, it bounces off. And they, like, tell them all the, like, cool science-y stuff about it. But they they do not prepare them at all for the feeling of nothing above you and just emptiness, emptiness, emptiness all the way, all the way out. (laughs) And so, so that's what they're doing. And then they're acting surprised right when the kids are all screaming. They're like, whoa, mm-hmm. what do you mean? We told you all about how it works. Kids, don't. it's blue. It's okay. It's blue. Remember? <laughs> it's just what I said. Yeah, I think that that's for sure it. Um, now, the then... popularity of screaming versus not screaming. This is a five-year-old, remember, that we're dealing with Okay. Here. So I don't think they have developed the concept of cool as like rebellious and aloof yet. Right. So the ones that are not screaming are psychopaths. Like <laughs> these kids are not the ones you want to have a play date with. Okay. Maybe it's a more of a test. <laughs> to see who gets to stay and live on Trantor. <laughs> Oh, you're not terrified well, like, of this. It's like a, it's like you know, all of these. We've got all of these sci-fi books where the like specialization of the workforce happens really early. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what this is. This is actually 100 it, and this relates back to the whole farming issue. They're taking the kids up and seeing who screams and who doesn't. If you scream, they're like, okay, good. You're like us. You're terrified of the big spaces. You're gonna stay on Trantor. Everybody else who was fine with it, you're going to go farm potatoes. Like, we need you We need you to go farm potatoes somewhere else, please. Just away from me. Away from yeah. me. You're a freak. Uh, this is terrifying. <laughs> the big open space that there's just nothing. Uh, get away. Please leave. 
We've got potato school for you. I also really hope that the teachers are also very scared. So they're like walking up the stairs like, yeah, go on out. It's fine. I'll, I'll be right behind you. They're staying in the like in the stairwell. They're like they're like right. opening the door and like pushing the kids out. But they will not go out on that rooftop. There is no way you're going to get them out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is so true. This is a wild. True. It's a wild experience. Just like terrible field trip, guys. Why are we still doing this? What's the what's the benefit here to these children? Okay. My my next note is not until we get to Terminus. Okay. So before we get there, before we get to Terminus, there's a little discussion that happens on the rooftop between Who's the guy who's not Selden, but is like the new mathematician that shows up? Like Gale or something. I yeah. So Gale is talking to somebody else and the guy mentions they call Selden the Raven. Mm-hmm. Bad choice of a nickname. If you're trying to convince people not to follow him and join his organization, pick something like stupider. Then the the Raven is like such a dope nickname. Are you kidding me? If if the government is calling somebody the Raven as like uh oh he just talks about death all the time and scary stuff, I'm gonna be like, he sounds so tight. Yeah. The, 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 don't give nicknames. Or, or call give him like, like Housefly. The nicknames <laughs> The nickname should be lame. It shouldn't be like bad, like scary. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It needs to be like Mr. Poops's pants. Or, or Scaredy like Cat. Scaredy Cat Selden. That writes itself. And you went with Raven. You went with like the coolest, badassest bird. Have, has everybody forgotten Poe in this universe? Has Poe just mm-hmm. been like completely forgotten? And they're like, oh yeah, Ravens are stupid birds who nobody thinks are cool. <laughs> no! Everybody thinks Ravens are dope. Everybody does. The the propaganda machine has lost a step, along with everything else. You clearly. would think that would be one of the things they were really good at, though. Right. Like, <laughs> you, you don't do farming. You're responsible for administering, like, a trillion, quadrillion person government. Your propaganda should probably be very effective if you're able to maintain control on all these people. And you went with Raven for Selden, the guy who's predicting the downfall of your whole system maybe mm, no maybe no it's it's a it's a miss it's a swing and a miss but they're trying stuff they're trying yeah yeah and maybe sure maybe someone else gave him that nickname and they were like begrudgingly they had to go with it but you don't propagate it to these new people who are potentially going to join him in his efforts you don't you don't like reiterate that nickname to anyone right right silly or and you try to minimize him for sure like who's oh that dude that guy sucks well you mean that crazy guy who's saying the whole empire is gonna collapse in like 300 years that guy you're gonna go work for that okay have fun (laughs) bye that's the way to do it that's so the way to do it god we could run such a better empire than these fools i know you can't know hire us all propaganda outlet (laughs) cut that dan Uh, oh okay that said last thing i want to say in part one about selden he goes they take him to trial and it's a very cool moment i think reading this is very cool because you know now i'm reading it the second time it's very fun to see selden is like so in control of the situation right he just is (laughs) like yeah yeah yeah, i'm gonna manipulate events to like get what i want and this is like this is what i want but the reaction of the people who have him on trial, I feel like is kind of justified. Like, I don't feel like they're being unreasonable by saying, dude, what are you, can you stop telling people that the whole thing is going to collapse? Like, it, it's really not helping us out. And if you think that's the case, please help us. Like, we'd love to not have this whole thing collapse. Uh, Please do something. Right. Like, you're, you're saying you, they're justified in wanting him to... Well, the thing is that they don't really want him to do stuff. So, like, I feel like there's a chance that he has approached people in the past and been like, hey, let's do this thing. 
and they said no. Maybe, but I think they ask him. They're like, oh, so you have these 100,000 people to help prevent the fall of the empire, right? And he's like, mm, no, uh-uh, that's not what they're for. Right. And so, like... It seems like... I, not to question psychohistory, it seems like it should be enough time. 300 years and especially if you can convince... Now, okay, this is part of the thing. The whole thing of the book is, like, it's a magic... It's kind of a magic, right? It's a magic right. of predicting the future. But they've even told us, like, if you introduce the concept of psychohistory, it changes all of the math. Like, you can't... You can no longer predict... So maybe just start telling everyone, hey, we've got this prediction tool. And if we don't do these things, oh, we're all going to have a hard time. Because it's right. like, I feel like that's a better shot. That's a better shot than, well, maybe I can make this thing that reduces it down to a thousand years of darkness than 30,000 years. Yeah, it seems like there are things that you should at least be trying. Like, okay, we're going to set up this the the foundations, but in the meantime, we're going to uh, adopt some new, like, uh, uh, like teaching strategies. We're going to do, we're going to do a carbon tax. Maybe we're thinking about doing a carbon tax. <laughs> Thoughts? Anybody? Carbon tax? I know we've talked about it in the past. <laughs> Keeps being voted down. <laughs> I know we're into recycling, and everybody's very into recycling. Maybe we can step that up a little bit, huh? <laughs> the point is there are options, as we always say. It seems like there should be options. That said, it also seems very real to our whole vibe right now of scientists constantly being like, hey, can we do this thing maybe to like help us all out in the long term? And everybody being like, eh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Eh, I don't think so. Very true, very true. I think that it gets the most, like, real and topical for me in the next section. Okay, let's move on to part two then. Okay. Part two, we're on Terminus. Mm -hmm. And the encyclopedists are in charge. Right. The scientists. And we're getting... Right. And we're getting a little bit more, like, insight into why the empire is collapsing more on like a intellectual level than on a like actually what's happening um the the like encyclopedia's not doing anything to mitigate all of the obvious issues is like the realest thing to me even <laughs> though they're not talking about like science related things and they're and it's more like political like disasters coming their way it still is like this is very real <laughs> well yeah it's i mean the first really the first three parts of this book and i think a large theme in the series is this interplay between science and politics and i this is one of the reasons i love this book is because there's not a clear like oh yeah we should just like trust our scientists and like do what they say because like the scientists are going to have it figured out it's like that's what part two is responding to. Part two is like, yeah, if you right. just let the scientists do everything, you're still going to get wrecked. Like you can't. Right. You can't do that. You have to have political solutions to stuff. And yeah, the scientists just. Well, and I, I will say, too, these scientists are not like making new knowledge anymore. They're more right. of like archivists at this point they're not doing experiments or things like that they're just keeping the status quo the same which could be argued honestly that these are not scientists anymore that these are like i said they're archivists because they're not doing experiments finding new knowledge they're just kind of cataloging things right they're like trained in the science but they're not doing the science basically exactly they're more like technical um maybe engineers but i don't want to i don't necessarily want to commit to that wow um but yeah it it does feel somewhat real in that respect um and yeah I, I although i don't know if the solution is like we need a bunch of scientists who are publishing climate reports to also be like 
uh political you know what i mean right i think that the 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 point of this is more well one of the many points of this part is that like the encyclopedists that are in charge here are just like not not real well i don't like the term realist but like Mm. not recognizing the reality of the situation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like they're too focused on their task they're too yeah Mm -hmm. right and they're like this is the political environment that we've always been in so it's going to be the political environment that we're always in right right which is yeah which is relevant (laughs) no um but yeah i don't know this was it was very interesting though especially um the like frustration of harden i think is Mm -hmm. his name yeah because i don't know he comes in i i have another couple notes about harden a little bit later Mm -hmm. but it seems like he has very few people that like agree with him that i can tell and is kind of going it alone well people in power we should say it seems like he does have a good amount of popular support like he runs that uh newspaper right that seems to be well read but yes nobody who actually has any power on terminus seems to be with him on anything right right i'm curious how much like how specific the psychohistory predictions are like if it could like they they've predicted all of the like crises Mm -hmm. and how they're going to be overcome but i don't know if they predict like the the like methods between those you're saying like there's gonna be this one guy who is able to become mayor of terminus and he's gonna solve the problem there's gonna be a coup right (laughs) i don't know this actually it poses an interesting question of like are specific people necessary for success or will somebody step up to fill a role like a void that exists given the opportunity like sure Harden is seems like he is doing this stuff because he is like the best suited to do it and he's it's kind of like miraculous that there is somebody to do it but i wonder if it's more of just like there is this void that's available for someone to fill and it just takes somebody to to take on that role and then when they're in that role they're going to be doing the same kind of things that Harden did you know what i mean yes this is this is part of my my next question Mm -hmm. which goes to like the end of the section that we have read the the first crisis comes and it's like not i think it's understandable why they would assume that there's an obvious solution but like the second crisis and the solution to it seems very specific where they like form a new religion based around science right and then yeah. like the the mayor harden comes up with this like cool move that's like super perfectly timed uh-huh yeah yeah Selden comes in and is like yeah there's like a 99 percent chance that that was gonna happen so it's fine <laughs> yeah i agree it is it does seem like we're getting pretty specific with how successful our predictions are that said like psychohistory is kind of this magic thing that is like a you know it's like an oracle kind of thing and so right you know maybe but it did this specifically part three part two made a lot of sense uh yeah Part three was the one where I was like, yeah, I don't know how obvious that solution was to this dilemma of creating a new religion and creating figureheads all over. And Selden, I don't know. I don't know about this guy. Right. I think that this part does kind of what you're saying of like elevating psychohistory to a point of almost magical ability. Mm hmm. Whereas I I would have expected if I was like told the plot of this book and hadn't read it yet, that the crises would be a little bit more like obvious and structural rather than like almost action movie-ish. <laughs> <laughs> right, where it comes down to like the day of a crisis 
somebody like right. setting all this stuff up. Right. So I don't know if the it's I think it's just an interesting author choice mm-hmm. to go that route. But I do think that it's like the 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 overall effect of it is to make to elevate psychohistory beyond like what we originally maybe thought that it was. I think that's definitely true. I also think there are a lot of worlds where the overcoming of the crisis isn't a huge dramatic moment that happens one night when the king is being crowned again. Like, I think there's a lot of ways you could write it that is essentially the same thing, but it's not as dramatic, right? It's not as fun to read. Like, yeah, as long as they've created this, like, religion that's based around science, then there's a lot of ways where trying to go attack the seat of the religion is not going to actually go very well for the government right. you know what i mean so i yeah this is definitely an artistic like authorship choice to make it exciting and very cool when uh when harden is like sitting there all smug and getting shot with lasers and not taking any damage yeah that i think that's part of the reason i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to why i love this book i think that's part of the reason why i love this book is because of characters like harden and selden who are just like uh-huh. so confident in their plans and their plans work out like so perfectly right there is something very satisfying about books that have characters that make these like plans that are not ex- super well explained until you get to them and then they work out perfectly this is this is like one of the reasons that I think Red Rising is so interesting to read as well. Mostly just because of the like crazy plans that take place mm-hmm. and the confidence associated with them. Right. And the way that it just gets like, it's not just a crazy plan. It's a way that they are like confident in that plan and completely flip somebody else's plan to accomplish what they want. Like mm-hmm. it's... I, I feel like there should be a name for it because it does show up in so many of these books where you have a character that just like flips somebody else's plan on its head to accomplish what they want in such a cool right. way. Right. Yeah. L- listeners, what's the what's the super specific German name for this? Because there's probably one. Yeah, definitely get at us and let us know what that is. We need to. I want to I talk about Harden a little bit more, specifically in part three here. Okay. Uh, so the actual like political system that has been established that Hardin is in charge of seems to be kind of a dictatorship, no? Yeah, I don't I don't quite get it cuz there's like a council and everything and in some ways they the council has power but it does seem like Harden has a lot of power to like do whatever he wants. Yeah, and in part three, Harden's like second in command is like, we should just lock those guys in prison and never let them see the light of day. And it's like, these are just political dissidents. Like, these are, this is just people who disagree with you about what we should do in the future and are threatening to start a new political party. Like, they're not, what are we talking about locking them up? Stop. Right. Yeah, this is this is where it's very it gets interesting about how like Harden is the good guy mm-hmm. in this section. Mm-hmm. Because of like his intentions and everything, but you can see how the methods that he like takes if they're like taken by anyone else with slightly different or worse intentions, it would be horrible. Right, right. Like imagining if there was somebody who got in Harden's role that was more power hungry than Harden was. And like, sure, they were successful in averting the first crisis, but they were also like just a dictator. Like your whole thing is messed up now. Right. It does seem like this is the case for a lot of the governments in this book. Mm -hmm. Like the emperor, obviously. Um, the kings of the little of the like four kingdoms and now Harden. There doesn't seem to be a ton of democracies. Right. Which isn't a great look. It's not a great look for any of our governments here, frankly. Frankly, yeah. 
That's true. It's this is where well, not this specifically, but the other note that I have is about how this book was written a while ago. Yes. And it's very interesting to see the like things that don't make any sense. Yeah, dude, like, this is my last this is the thing I want to talk about as well cuz there's based on how old this book is, there's some weird stuff in here for sure. Right. Right. The uh, the most obvious one being that there's like no computers. Yes. That's definitely a big part of it. Mhm. It's interesting the stuff that does and doesn't get predicted in older science fiction, right? Like the hyperwave relay essentially like wireless communication mm-hmm. gets predicted um but yeah no computers at all so you don't whereas like now any science fiction is going to have like self-driving cars and all this stuff and there's yeah. like people are driving the cars people are farming there's no robots in this book at all it's it also makes envisioning what these spaceships actually how they actually work so different right yeah like there's not really any automated parts of it it's all people doing like but pushing buttons and like levers the other thing that really stuck out to me was at the end of part two hardin mentions that the other kingdoms are going back to coal and oil for electricity (laughs) yeah yeah the energy (laughs) thing is is another big one it's wild it's so wild because it's like what do you where where Isaac do you know where coal and oil come from? <laughs> the, those aren't just out there in the galaxy waiting for people to mine them and and burn them up. Right. <laughs> like it's it's a it's a very specific geological phenomenon that involves right. like life, right? Like it involves life forms. Right, it's like organic matter. Yeah yeah you're right the implications being that let's let's hypothesize that the oil and coal is being like mined or taken from probably not every single planet but like a lot of the planets i would assume Uh uh-huh uh-huh so like there is probably a lot of life on that planet before everyone else got there right Ooh. Ooh, wait a minute. Hold on, Luke. I think we might have stumbled onto a theory here. Okay. Okay. Here's the theory. Because, yes, in order for there to be oil and coal on other planets, there has to be life there for millions of years, right? It has to be a long time that there was life there. And we do get examples of weird life forms on other planets, like these birds that they're hunting on Acreon or whatever the, the planet is. So there is life on other planets. It's not a far reach to say then that there is some other intelligent life in this galaxy of like so many, so many planets and stars, especially if enough of them have coal and oil to power the electricity of all of these places. Right. What if aliens are responsible for the fall of the empire? And Selden saw it in his psycho history and is like, oh, we've got to do some major stuff here if we're going to survive this. Okay. Okay. Right. Because the you could see it being predicted where it's mm-hmm. like there's X amount of planets. Y amount of them has life. That means that there's probably intelligent life. Yes. Um. I think that it's got to be one of the crises, like the final boss, the final crisis. <laughs> Is the aliens that they've been preparing to me. And like, here's the other thing, too. If I'm Selden and I do my psychohistory, I'm like, wait, the numbers aren't quite adding up. Hold on. Carry the three. Do the four. Wait, there's another variable in here I'm missing. And then he's like, he does a little thinking. And then he like wakes up in the middle of the night and he's like aliens. And he adds aliens to the formulation. He's like, uh oh. There's aliens, guys. Uh, but but the aliens are, like, way smarter than us, right? It's like a they're way more powerful than us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we don't really know that they exist. Right. They, they've learned about solar energy. Exactly. Exactly. They've heard Lord's new album. And they uh, <laughs> the threat is not that there's a big dark age that happens. Selden 
actually realizes the threat is aliens are just going to take all of our stuff in, you know, 10 or 5,000, maybe 5,000 years. And he's like, we got to get ready for the aliens, but I can't tell anybody about it because people will freak out. So we got to say it's something else. Right. I think that's definitely an option for sure. Because sure. otherwise the colon oil thing really threw me off because I was like, how do you have this much colon oil, guys? Well, yeah, especially, I mean, maybe they're, I don't know, synthesizing <laughs> colon oil. <laughs> the other outstanding image when you think about all of their stuff running on coal is uh, an old timey video of some people shoveling coal into a boiler for a spaceship to go. It's just like. A bunch, a couple of sweaty men with shovels, like putting coal into a furnace so that the spaceship can go to the next planet. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of wild, Isaac. It it is very wild. It's I don't remember when exactly this book is written, but I don't know. It's just it's so interesting to see the like energy issue not being like one of the things that they have advanced (laughs) so luke the first series of short stories for foundation was published in 1942 okay so pretty old actually pretty old Ooh, i'm gonna say like the amount of things that have been predicted in here for being from like 1942 kind of good actually kind of good i feel like a lot of the like human nature parts sure sure are good predictions oh i mean definitely the fact that this is still topical today the fact that this is extremely topical today is that is outstanding it means that yeah the like the interpersonal themes that are presented here timeless yeah timeless the other thing that's that's kind of cool is like holograms. Mm, mm-hmm. Like Isaac mm-hmm. Asimov was like, oh, yeah, we'll have holograms for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> the The timing of the publication is funny when you consider that we were just talking about how there's no democracies. <laughs> <laughs> Makes you wonder who Isaac like thought was going to win. A little pessimistic. Right. Yeah. A little pessimistic. But... <laughs> Uh, oh yeah the other thing about that which is interesting going back to the topic of democracy as like the government system that you would think would be for the good guys to be working under if i'm doing a calculation that involves like mass amounts of people as the key for the popular for the calculation to work democracy seems like the best way to go right like you don't want one person making a bunch of decisions if your calculation relies on large populations to be accurate right you need a large because like if if you have a government or like society in which one person's decision is affecting huge things you would think that a like the course of that society could be changed much quicker and B, it would be much harder to predict. Exactly. Like, Hardin could have just said one day, like, you know what? I'm tired of all this stuff. Let's let's blow them up. I'm going to launch a nuke at them. Right. So this, this makes me think that the period in which... Well, ooh, okay. It seems like the predictions would be harder when the Empire is in power. Because you have, like, one emperor. I'm assuming it's a little bit more broad than this. But, like, a centralized government making decisions for, like, the entire galaxy. Right. Which seems like it would be hard to predict. But then, once you get into, the like, barbarism era, you have, like, all of the worlds or sectors are governing themselves. That seems a little bit easier to predict to me with math. Yes. Yes. I think that's probably true it's much more chaotic and so therefore it's and but there's less power that can be thrown around by any one entity right Right. there's there's more samples it's a bigger sample size this makes me wonder if maybe selden had a bit of a hand in the collapse of the empire 
Like if he looked at things and was like, actually, the empire is not going to collapse for 500 years, but it makes the math way harder if it's still around. <laughs> that seems right to me, honestly. <laughs> right. Like if he's already predicting that the whole thing is going to collapse and there's going to be, you know, aliens come destroying everyone or 50,000 years of darkness or whatever. And he's like, the only thing we can do is make a foundation that maybe makes it through and lessens that. Then anything he can do to make the math easier and to like improve the odds that they succeed is like in a weird way can be justified. (laughs) Right. So if he's like, hey, if we just assassinate the current emperor in like 30 years... Then this math like looks great. Like this Him math really, here, yeah, easy. <laughs> I can just cancel out these factors of three here, and then the math becomes so much easier. That feels right to me. Um, for one thing, to get more confidence, mm-hmm. and maybe it's also like ah, we just eh, don't really have the computing power for this. Right, he's trying to do this on a hand calculator. Okay. Which I love, by the way. <laughs> right. The first scene when he pulls out this, like, this Casio and starts typing away and is like, here's the universe. And he shows a number and it's like, what do you, what does that mean? Selden, what are you talking about? Right. This is, <laughs> okay. So the other point that I'm going to come back to in the, in part one uh-huh. is when he's being interrogated and, they're like, okay, can you like prove the your claims with this math? And he's like, to some people, yeah, to people that like have been trained in it. <laughs> that seems wrong to me. <laughs> like, I get, I, I sure, to people that have like a PhD in psychohistory, they're gonna be able to follow something, whereas like I would not be able to. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you should be like calling in a bunch of experts with like different opinions that have been trained in psychohistory to be like, can you check this math? Right. We should get be like getting a... some expert testimony here. Right. 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 Not relying on Selden, pulling out his calculator, typing in a bunch of numbers, turning it over and seeing that it spells out boobs and being like, oh, shit. Right. There's got to be <laughs> there's got to be other psychohistorians that have like. Sure, I think Selden like pioneered the the field, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't know. Well, it seems like once again, this is kind of the magic that is necessary for this book to work. And so, like, the magic of the psychohistory is just that you know, if you could see the future, how would you try and save humanity, and what does that mean? But you should, if this is based on math and statistics, even if I don't have a PhD in psychohistory, I'm just a, st- I like, I just do stats. That's my job. You can explain the variables to me. You can be like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're using these assumptions. Here's our model. Check it. Make sure it works. Right. Like right. there's still mathematicians out there in the, in the universe. And it kind of, this is kind of supporting the idea that maybe there's some other thing that Selden doesn't want them learning about. Right. And, okay, we should also say that the whole point of this thing is to get exiled to go to Terminus, and, like, that's part of the calculation anyway. So, like, there are some things he's trying to conceal from these people. Mm-hmm. So, there definitely are, It does make sense that he's not explaining it fully. Uh but there could also be like plenty of other things like you can't always trust the person who's telling predicting the future if the things that they're doing are actively bringing that future to to occur right like you have to right. at some point question like yeah but if you didn't if you didn't do all this stuff would that still happen <laughs> you you did plant right. a bomb in the uh, emperor's palace so saying that the empire is going to collapse in 300 years is like kind of a dick move right like you have you have developed this field and gotten a few hundred thousand followers to like do everything you say that's kind of a lot of power to like bring about the predictions 
that you have claimed. Exactly. I also I also feel like there's probably a lot of debate about the validity of this field. Like I'm sure that there's one or a few like basic assumptions. Mhm. Like huge assumptions, right? Like gases behave ideally. <laughs> that everyone else is like that is a terrible assumption that is not correct <laughs> which is why he can't bring any ex- expert testimony <laughs> because everyone's like no this like is a this assumption about every human behaving rationally is incorrect <laughs> we're coming at you economists <laughs> yeah i think that actually that has some validity. The other thing about it, which is crazy, is that this field is pretty new, right? Psychohistory is a pretty new field. Mm-hmm. What kind of peer-reviewed experiments have you been able to run in the, like, 50 years you've developed this field to have the confidence of 30,000 years in the future? Right. Like, are you have not run any blind, double-blind trials, any experiments to test your... Granted, like... You know, maybe they're bringing in, he's just bringing in the knowledge from psychology, right? And he's combining it with statistics. But still, like, you would think they would want to do some kind of right. experiment. I'm I'm worried that he's overtraining his model. <sighs> it's a big issue, Luke. It's a big issue these days. Yeah. Big issue. Yeah, like, he's, he's reporting training data, you know? Like, his R squared value is great, but it's all on training data. Oh, we're right now we're connecting with like two people who are listening to this show. But <laughs> the listener, this is for you. Never report your training fit. You got to test that for sure. You do for sure. For sure. All right, Luke. Once again, I said it at the top. I'm going to say it at the bottom. I freaking love this book. So good. So great. Isaac Asimov. Great job with this book. Okay. Looking forward to the show coming out tomorrow for you listener so give that a watch and we'll talk about it next time along with plenty of hot takes and us being dumb nerds 